What an amazing prayer to say, I am who you say I am, God. You know, I wonder how often we sing through these songs and these verses and make these pledges, but don't really think about what we're saying. There is a beautiful power and freedom in saying, God, I am who you say I am, regardless of all the other noise in our world. I mean, right? Descartes, trying to figure out who am I, answer this, this existential question, comes down to, well, I know I exist because I think, therefore I am. And even though that's foundational, it's without purpose. It's without meaning. It's just, I exist, right? And yet we have this promise as Christians, as children of God, that, that we are who God says we are. And that reorients everything about our world, which is really tying in well to what we're going to talk about today in the sermon. Because we're in the middle of this four-week sermon series on the one another's. Now, I'm Pastor Trevor. I'm pastor of spiritual formation here at Hillspring. And I'm loving this, this series because it's talking about how we are not here for us. In fact, there are over a hundred times in the, in the New Testament where we are told, do this for one another. Like, love one another, forgive one another, encourage one another, bear one another's burdens, lift one another up, so on and so forth. In fact, even four of them times we're told to kiss one another with a brotherly greeting. We're going to say that's a cultural deal. You lovers go about doing that. But, you know, for the rest of us, we'll just let that be a cultural thing from the past. But there's over 100 of these one another verses and actually 59 separate commandments. In fact, about a quarter of them are love one another. And Brian preached on those the, the first week of this series about, you know, how we are supposed to care for and love one another as Christians. It's not about us. It's about loving. And then the second week, we talked about unity and, and about the importance of, of coming together and, and serving one another and, and, you know, taking care of one another. Working, making, taking care of the group, being unified together more important than ourselves. And this week, this section of one another's is on humility. And honestly, it's one of the hardest commands, I think, in the New Testament. You know, and it is all throughout it. I mean, you give preference to one another in, in honor, regard one another as more important than yourself, serve one another, wash one another's feet, which is what Brian wrapped up unity with last week. Be subject to one another. I, I, over and over, we are told to, to be humble, to put ourselves beneath the importance, our importance beneath the importance of others one another. And man, that is a rough command. You know, the verse that the Johnsons read a little while ago out of 1 Peter 5 says, all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God resists the proud and he gives grace to the humble. We are supposed to clothe ourselves with humility. Now, that word there, clothe, that's not like throw a shawl on and then be able to take it off like I come in from the rain and hang up my coat. That's a, a bind to yourself or tie, tie to yourself. Humility. It, it, the images of a, of a, 
a slave putting on their apron to serve their master, to tie it on. It, it's a defining characteristic. And we are to be defined in the way we relate to one another with humility. Now, we'll get into defining humility in a second. But think about this. God says those who are defined, who tie on humility to themselves and inter interacting with others, that God gives them grace. To the humble, he pushes them forward and, you know, overlooks their foils and their fobbles and their mistakes. And, and, and he encourages them, gives them grace. And yet those who don't, those who are focused on themselves, who wrap themselves up in pride, who think it's about them, he opposes them. He holds them back. He works to thwart their plans so that they are humbled so they can learn that the world is not all about them. And what a crazy idea when you think about our world today. I mean, when have you ever seen an advertisement where they're like, really, you're not that important. Don't worry about buying these shoes. Give that money to somebody who needs it. <laughs> or don't worry about trying to get ahead in your job and get a raise and make more money and all of that. Like, God will provide for you just you know, do what you do well and lift others up, encourage them. When, when do you hear people saying, yeah, I know you oppose me and you're kind of mean and you don't like me, but that's okay. I'm all right. Don't worry about it. You, you do you and good job on what you did do. I mean, it's craziness in our world. In fact, you know, I mean, when you think about our world, I found this quote online. It says, appetite says, be sensuous and enjoy yourself. Education says, be resourceful and expand yourself. Materialism says, be satisfied and please yourself. Psychology says, be confident and fulfill yourself. Pride says, be superior and promote yourself. Humanism says, be capable, believe in yourself. And I would argue that humility says it's not about yourself, which is crazy, right? I mean, all the voices in our world say it's about us in one form or another. Now, we probably need to define humility, right? Because maybe what this is sounding like is I don't matter and I'm unimportant and I'm a screw up and I'm worthless. And, and that's not the image here at all. The image here is to not think about yourself, not be absorbed with yourself, not be obsessed with yourself. And you can do that, of course, through pride, right? Like, I've got to get ahead, I've got to make more, I've got to win out, I've got to have the best influence or the best house and car and stuff. I've got to, I've got to make sure I have people who like me enough. It could be a pride-oriented one, but it can also be a self-loathing orientation. I'm just horrible, I'm not any good, nobody loves me, I can never accomplish anything, I'm worthless. And both of those are obsessions with ourselves. And both of them are equally wrong. Humility says, in the midst of all of it, it's not really important. It's what God brings before me. It's about other people. It's not about me. Humility is a lack of obsession with yourself. 
whether for good or for bad. And this is, this is where we get to the heart of what it means to be a disciple of Christ. To say, I am who you say I am. I'm just going to do life as you've called me and put me. I'm going to put myself before you, God, and before serving others. And it's not about me. And i got to tell you, I don't know how you're doing at that, but that's really hard for me. I, when I read something like out of Romans 12, where it says, if possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Friends, do not avenge yourselves. Instead, uh, leave room for God's wrath because it is written, vengeance belongs to me and I will repay, says the Lord. Man, I got to tell you, I am not so good at just not defending myself. I mean, I'll tell you, Shanette does something or she accuses me of something because, you know, I'm, I never do anything wrong. So why would she accuse me? And I'm really great at defending myself, running through my head all the ways that that should have, you know, I misunderstood or, 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 you know, I should be treated better or more fair. I should, you know, I'm, this is just set up against me and I'm, I'm, you know, not, not valued, not understood. How quickly in my defense, I start focusing and obsessing on me. How somehow our whole relationship is really about how I make sure that I get my own. <laughs> I do that in church. And, you know, I, I like to say, I'm a Christian. I'm about God's work. I want to do God's work in the world. And, and so, you know, maybe I justify, right? Hey, God said, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. And hey, God, I'll help you. I'll just do that work for you. I'll take that vengeance out. But that's not the point, right? The point is, it's not about me. It's about God. And that is a struggle. In fact, there was a missionary to India who once said, if we were to pick out two phrases necessary for spiritual growth, I would pick out these. I don't know, and I am sorry. And both phrases are the evidence of deep humility. I don't know, and I'm sorry. Are those the hallmarks of how we interact with people when we're attacked? When we're asked questions or when we're pushed towards something? Do we go, wow, I don't know. I don't know what you're thinking. I don't know what you're feeling. I don't know what's going on inside of you. Help me understand. Or, no, I don't have that answer. I don't, I don't really know what I need or what, I, what I'm supposed to have. And similarly, when we're pushed, when we're poked, when we're told to, you know, when we feel like we need to defend ourselves or, or we feel like we've been slighted or we feel like we attack others, do we say, yeah, I'm sorry, it's not about me. I'm overreacting here. Yeah, you may, you may think bad things about me or you may have done something bad to me, but I'm sorry I, I turned that into me. I mean, that sounds crazy, doesn't it? But think about Jesus. I mean, he's arrested and brought before Pilate, accused of all this stuff and spit on and abused and, and you know, going to be killed. And he's being interrogated. He said, aren't you 
aren't you going to defend yourself? He said, mm, you would have no power but what the power God gave you. I have nothing to say. I'm going to trust God. I mean, that is humility. The ability to say in the midst of all the noise and the craziness of this world, the demands that we lift ourselves up and placate ourselves and worry about ourselves and defend ourselves and boast and get ahead in the midst of all that to say, hmm, it is what it is. And it's not because I suck and I don't matter. It's because I perfectly matter and I'm okay. I mean, that is a spiritual discipline and the ability to interact with one another in that way. Well, that'll be a testimony to the world. You know, in Philippians 2, we have this beautiful entry part of it, first nine verses of, of the chapter, where it describes how Christ approached the world. And it starts with this. If there is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Okay, so we've just covered the first two weeks of this sermon series, right? If there's any love, if there's any unity, if there's anything you've gotten at all from being a Christian, right? Then, then focus on one purpose. The question then is, what's that one purpose? And he answers it, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, consider others as more important than yourself. In other words, for a Christian, if you have any sense of redemption and healing, if you have any sense of the goodness of God or the forgiveness of your sins or any sense of community and love, your one purpose should be to consider others more important than yourself. To do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. I mean, that's crazy, isn't it? I mean, that is truly the opposite of everything we hear in our world. How do we possibly get there? Well, I think honestly, it's a, it's a gift of grace. I remember when I was, I've been a Christian for a couple of years and I was super passionate about God. Like I, I was just, you know, I wanted to tell everybody about him and I was studying every morning and I was super disciplined and focused and I was at church five times a week and I was, you know, just sharing and going and all the Christian things. And one day I was reading a book by Dietrich Bonhoeffer called The Cost of Discipleship. And in it, he says that pride is the antithesis of what it means to follow God. And he, he kind of had fleshed out in this book and in other ways, you know, I mean, the, the sin that Satan gave into was pride. 
The sin that Adam and Eve gave into was pride. That it, that it was this idea that I know best, that I need to take care of myself, that I get to choose, that I should make the rules my way, right, is the opposite of God. It's the opposite of goodness. It's the opposite of humility before God. And he makes the point that whenever we have pride in our lives or in ourselves, we're falling away from God. And I realized in that moment that I can never do, I can never get rid of my pride. Because I was either screwing up and making mistakes and doing things that I wasn't proud of and I felt horrible and obsessed with them. I shouldn't do that and I need to change that and I need to fix that and I need to do that better. Or on the flip side, I was proud of my accomplishments. Boy, I was super self-disciplined today and I did the right thing and I read the right stuff and I said the right thing, I went the right places and now I'm proud and obsessed with myself again. And I realized in that moment, there was no way I could get out of pride on my own. And I slammed the book shut and I threw it on the floor and I cussed at the ceiling and I said, you know what, God, I'm done. If you want me, you're gonna have to come and get me. And what God did in that moment and over the preceding years was gradually take that brokenness and that failure and help weave humility into me. Now I am far from a totally humble person. You could ask my wife, you could ask myself. <laughs> but I do realize, thus by the grace of God go I. And all the noise, all the craziness, all the things of this world that scream for me to care for me, to get ahead, to make sure I have the right, people around me or make sure that I'm loved well or make sure that my team wins or all that. It's really about me. In so many ways, it's destructive to my faith. Our world needs people who live more like Jesus. And you know, in doing so, there is a huge benefit. When Jesus was talking in Matthew 11, he said, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. It's a beautiful verse, right? Come to Jesus, he'll give you rest. Take up my yoke and learn from me. Because I am lowly and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. In other words, there is a tremendous amount of rest in coming to Jesus and saying, what do you have for me? And Jesus says, it's not about you. I'm lowly, I'm humble in heart, learn from me. And you know what's amazing is when we, if we are weary and overburdened and stressed out and anxious and tired, the vast, vast majority of the time, it's because we're way too worried about us. What can we get? How can we win? How can we get ahead? How can we make sure people still like us? How can we make sure that we're of value and worth? 
Jesus says the rest for our souls come in just letting it go, caring more about others, lifting others up, realizing life, faith, church isn't about us. And as I was reflecting on that verse this week, I was thinking about all the anxiety and emotion that's wrapped up in this election and the stuff going on. And I think how, how much better, how much more at rest would our world be if we said, yep, we voted, we made our choice, we'll let the powers that be sort it out, and I'm gonna let it go. I'm gonna listen to the other side. I'm gonna let them say what they wanna say. I'm not gonna take vengeance, I'm not gonna try and defend them or myself. I'm not going to find all the weird, crazy ways that, you know, that side is silly and making mistakes. I'm just going to let it go. Because i got to tell you, I've had a lot of pride in this election. And I really don't care that much about politics. But I found myself wrapped up in it. In fact, the other day when we were in counseling, I was talking to our counselor and... We were talking about the stuff between Jeanette and I and all that, and somehow it turned into politics and, and the, the great disparity of opinions and ideas in my family, right? And I said to the counselor, well, this person in my family who I love that has very different political beliefs from me is an idiot. And then I kind of backtracked. and was like, I don't even know where my counselor stands on this. I should probably, you know, soften that. So then I got worried about making sure that I, I clarified what I meant by that statement so that it didn't sound quite as judgmental and bad as it could. And then after I got off the call, I spent quite a bit of time thinking about, well, what, what was I trying to do? And why was I trying to say that? And how can I make that look better? And how can I make myself feel better about me? Like, that was very judgmental and unfair. And the whole thing was about my pride, being right, and then worrying about how I appeared, and then worrying about not offending somebody so that they didn't you know, think bad about me. And then worrying about, well, I really couldn't be that judgmental and a proud of person. How can I spin this even in my own head so that I feel better about me? And it was exhausting. It was exhausting. And as I read this, I thought about Jesus' words. Come to me, you who are heavy laden, and I will give, my, give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. For I'm lowly, humble in heart. And Jesus says, lay it down. Realize it's not about you. You are loved for who you are. You are embraced. You matter to me. And that's all that matters. You know, last week we concluded with the Last Supper. And Brian talked about how Jesus went in and washed the disciples' feet. 
I mean, similarly here out of 1 Peter 5, where, where he says, you know, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. Bind that, that apron of a servant around yourself. And that's the image of what Jesus was doing. He wraps the towel. He binds the towel around himself, and he washes his disciples' feet. He gets down on the ground and takes the dirtiest part of them and wipes it clean. Incredibly magnanimous act of humility. In fact, he even washed Judas' feet, the man who shortly thereafter was going to betray him and lead him what caused him to be led to his death. Where the God of the universe who could do anything, snap his fingers and make any of his wildest dreams come true, create a new galaxy or fill his bedroom with Ben and Jerry's everything but the whatever it was. He chose to wash the feet of the people who were going to betray him. Can I ask you a pointed question? Who is it that you are better than? Who is it that you think you've got everything figured out? I mean, it could be a spouse that you're in an argument with or fighting with. Why does he or she do that? <laughs> I'm very familiar with that voice. It could be somebody who has all kinds of mental issues and is just clingy and difficult. Could be somebody who isn't doing as well financially and is reckless. Could be a political opponent who you think is an idiot. Who is that that you think you are better than? Who is it that God thinks you are better than? That is a very sobering question. And so as we come to this table, those places where pride is welled up inside your soul, will you humble yourself before God and let his grace carry you forward? Just as Jesus did. So this table is the great equalizer. Where Jesus said on the night he was betrayed, as he gave thanks and said, this is my body, which is broken for you. As often as you eat this, remember me. And this night of washing my disciples' feet, And in the same manner, after the supper, he took the cup. And he said, this cup represents my blood, which is shed for you. For the forgiveness of your sin, for all the times you're not humble, when you think it's about you. As often as you drink of it, remember me.
And so as we go into this time of communion, as we go into this space, would you join me? Wherever you think you're better than. There's places where maybe you've lost a little humility. Can we come to Jesus together? And say, Jesus, we remember you. And we will be humble to one another. Join me. Jesus, I give you thanks that all the weariness and the burdens and the struggles of this life we can give to you. We can cast our cares on you because you care for us. And in your humility, you have given us an example of how to be free. So may you lead us this week as we go into the world. Help reorient us to realize it's not about us, but about one another. We give you thanks. In your name I pray, amen. As we go into this last song, you know, it is incredibly difficult to grow in the spiritual discipline of humility. It's actually not something we can do on our own. So make this song your prayer. Let it not be about us, but through Christ. God bless.